Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Dwayne Dufault. Dwayne is a college dropout construction worker who made a complete shift in life over a decade ago to be home for the kids. Dwayne has sold just about everything from newspapers toilets and flooring, to printers door-to-door, SMB SaaS, mid-market, and all the way up to Fortune 100 enterprise software. You name it, Dwayne has sold it, sold into it, or helped someone sell it. Dwayne, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. <laughs> Thanks for the intro. Uh, it's interesting always to hear that read back to me. Uh, I that, appreciate being on the show. Love the intro video on that too, which is really great. Uh, and I'm really excited for the conversation today. Awesome. Yes, I am excited to talk to you. I know your intro is one of the most unique. Uh, <laughs> it's always fun for me uh, to, to get something different. Yeah. Uh, but before we jump into what we're here to talk about today, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that mm. I call buzzword banishment. Mm. So tell me what industry buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? Dark social. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate that one? Uh, it, dark social, the way everyone explains it, or thinks of it, it's literally, it's just old school relationship building in business where it's, everyone always talks about, oh, these are the people that just scroll by and don't do anything, but then refer you to someone who takes action. I'm like, well, that's just called networking. It's, it, it's the, the way it's being treated is just old school relationship networking, you know, the handshake type of situation to where the person you talk to or market to isn't the one that buys. It's always the person after them. And I'm like, well, that's, that's just kind of old school way of doing business. And so I just think there's just a, been this buzzword floating around about dark social and just just call it what it is, just relationship networking or relationship marketing. So people can kind of get the better idea of what it is because it has like this weird negative connotation to it almost. Uh, and from what I've seen, it, it's just old school relationship marketing. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, anytime I hear like dark funnel, dark social, I think of dark web, which is yeah. where all of like the criminals are. Like, are we hiring a hitman? Or I watch a lot of crime drama TV. So <laughs> I'm like, you know, dark social is where you go to get a hitman. Like why, you know, what does that have to do with marketing? Um, but yeah. yeah, you, you are right in that it is, it's the people we can't track. Mm -hmm. And I think because everything now is so focused on tracking and metrics mm -hmm. that anything that falls outside of that is like, Ooh, like this is the dark, like we got to solve for yeah. the dark funnel. And it's like, you know, I'm all for measurement. I'm, it's important, mm -hmm. but you can't measure everything. 
Yeah. And it's like when we look at dark social or organic traffic on websites and that type of stuff, it's all all tides raise ships type of scenario where if you're doing your job correctly and effectively, then all parts of the funnel should increase by a certain amount. Some of it's unmeasurable, like it's really hard to measure organic, just like it is on, you know, this quote unquote dark social. It's like if you're doing if you're doing the work and making the connections and being consistent uh, with your market and your audience, then everything's going to go up. And so. I, I don't, I, yeah, the dark social thing is just, it makes it feel wrong to a certain extent. So hopefully we can kind of get out of that phase as an industry. I, I am with you there. So now that we've gotten that off our chest, <laughs> tell me what brings you to revenue rehab today? Well, the, one of the conversations I find myself having a lot is we still in our industry, whether it's software or retail or transactional type of sales, um, it's, there's still this big issue where we have all these siloed perspectives and activities between departments where we talk about being one company and one brand, but in reality, there's still that friction between sales and marketing and then sales and customer success. And then product is kind of just sitting in between everything where no one's really focusing on the customer journey. And then that ends up you end up having marketing teams that are optimizing for KPIs that don't really make sense to the customer because they're getting compensated or being measured on just form submits or you know their definition of MQLs. And then sales is measured on something else, but then they don't really get the support they need for marketing to hit some of those numbers and they're forced to do you know cold outbound type of stuff that's not really effective in their market in some markets it is uh and then same thing with success it's like success might as well be the redheaded stepchild of the organization because no one uh, too many companies either a don't prioritize customer success as an actual revenue function and a very important function to keep revenue of the business uh and they don't use them as a high uh, highly effective source of feedback for both marketing for both sales and for product and so you uh, we need to have more of a holistic approach to how we're acquiring revenue in a business rather than just get the lead or get get the connected call or you know make sure they don't churn and get the annual contract and then call them in nine months before their renewal comes up or stick some legalese in their contract knowing that they really can't get that 30 day out because they're they don't get the email and so it's it just feels like we're trying to be more departmentally focused for our customer rather than actually being customer focused so that's kind of kind of my thought process lately <laughs> Ah, awesome. So you gave me a good bit of meat there to dive yeah. into. But before I do, I believe in setting intentions. It mm -hmm. gives us focus, it gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience uh, an understanding of what to expect from our conversation. So tell me, what is your intention for today? Or what would you like to be different after our conversation? I want people to look at their customer journey and how they determine their go-to-market not just what's possible in their marketing metrics or what sales should be doing in phone calls and uh, so on and so forth and down the line it's it's looking at how the customer interacts with your company and your product throughout their buying cycle and then inserting the individual responsibilities to support that not the other way around 
Yes, I love that. And, you know, what makes me think back to episode 22 with Ed Frame, Mm. where we talked a lot about the journey and the process and really unlocking the value within, you know, your current customer base and focusing on that journey. And I think this conversation really is an extension of that in that our go-to-marketing efforts have to be based on the journey as well. Yeah. And, and understanding that go to market is, is a, is the initial strategy. And then there's the marketing plan that supports the go to market and all the functions beneath it. But the the customer cycle and the buying process needs to be front and center as you design all functions of the revenue teams being marketing sales and CS. Uh, And it feels like we're, we're trying to just take some VC playbook and just (laughs) apply it to any situation and hope that it works from the way we structure sales comp plans to the metrics that we hold marketing teams accountable to, or even the tools that we tell startups to go and implement right out of the gate because they happen to go get some funding. And it's like, we have to understand what the ideal buyer process is and their journey they're going to take to then align, you know, what our marketing metrics are going to be, the tools that are going to support that stuff, you know, how we're going to compensate the customer facing teams to encourage a better customer experience throughout the whole life cycle. And so it's just flipping it on its head to make sure that we're focusing on what's best for the customer rather than what's best for our KPIs. Yes. And in preparing for um, our conversation today, I did grab my book, CMO Mm. to CRO, The Revenue Takeover by the Next Generation Executive. And I think there's a quote in one of my favorite chapters, which is chapter nine, the domino effect. Um, And I'll just read it to you quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. In the modern front office model of revenue takeover, a business operates like a set of dominoes. All functions within the customer lifecycle from lead to sales to customer experience line up closely enough to impact one another, yet far enough apart to move freely. Together, they create a perfect formation, your revenue team. Like dominoes, the revenue team players must communicate with players ahead of them and behind them. One person or function's output feeds into the next, so each must be aware of where they fit into the lineup. Each must also see the grand design and how they will fit into that as well. Aligned functions like aligned dominoes work together to create the desired end result. And I think this hits on what you are getting at in that we've got to make sure that all of our goals as we move through the cycle are aligned so that we're all working towards the same end destination. And that's revenue. I agreed. The main thing I pulled out of that was aligned functions and one person working with the next person, whether it's up or down or side, it's just it's being aligned with what everyone's working towards, whatever that North star is for, you know, whatever you're trying to go achieve. So that means on a regular basis, marketing should be meeting with customer teams. And that's not just with sales, not just with CS, but that's also support too. Like support has to deal with kind of the shit into the stick on the results of the product. And so it's, we have to include the voice of the customer in our messaging and our positioning on the front end. So we're driving the right kind of business that sales then goes and kind of finishes off. And so if we don't have that, that alignment, that, you know, that, that alignment through the process, then you miss out on that. And then you just end up optimizing for whatever Google happens to tell you is a good conversion rather than what's actually driving good business down the funnel. 
Yeah. And I, you know, customer service is a wealth of information that I do think is so untapped mm -hmm. by both marketing and sales because mm -hmm. they hear all the complaints. Yes. And, you know, a lot of times what happens is something, you know, some feature of functionality is sold to them in the sales process as being the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and then in reality, that's not how it pans out. And yeah. that's what customer service is hearing or support. And, you know, that's important information to understand, you know, or if there's common use cases that people are calling in and, you know, I'm using software as an example, but this yeah. really applies to other industries as well. But if there's things that people are consistently calling in to figure out how to do, that might drive the product roadmap. Mm -hmm. It might drive the sales conversation, things that should be highlighted in marketing. And I do think that this really is a missed place. Mm -hmm. um, I know one of my previous guests challenged us to listen in to sales conversations um, to really hear how people are talking about the product. And I'd almost extend that to say, try to also listen to customer support and customer success, you know, really all of the conversations that are being yeah. had with your customers are a wealth of information in terms of how do we drive revenue? How do we differentiate ourselves, which all leads to growth? Yeah, I 100% agree. And so from from a sales leader perspective, because that's mainly the seat that I've held in the companies that, I, that I've worked with or worked for over the last decade. And it's vitally important I've learned that it's vitally important to get the perspective from outside of just a sales conversation to help to listen to phone calls, account reviews, onboarding calls of customers that we've sold, and then also review chats or support calls that come in because that's going to shape the better, better customer experience, better sales experience in that mid part of the funnel for the customer lifecycle. Because then if you're not actively coaching your sales reps on how to disqualify people, then you're just potentially driving the same headache behavior when they're a customer. Like, and you could be potentially driving churn six months down the line if you're not disqualifying prospects based on things that we know that customers don't like or constantly have issues with, all, all the while feeding that back into product. So, whether, yeah. whether it's a software or if it's a piece of furniture or whatever there has to be that constant feedback loop and connection up and down the funnel. So that way, like we said a second ago, everyone's aligned. And so if you're not listening, if you're not implementing those pieces of insights that you're getting from those calls, then you're still just shooting from the hip. It doesn't matter what, what the CRM or what the marketing technology tells you. If you don't get the voice of the customer, you still only have half the information. Yes. And I, a few weeks ago, I, uh, in episode 23, I talked to Helen Baptiste um, about leading all of the revenue teams and you know the one of the main reasons that Helena or one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to Helen is because she leads all of revenue and mm. one of the challenges that I've seen in actually achieving what you're saying is you have multiple leaders you have someone who is leading marketing and they have their incentives and their you know perspective on how we grow we've got someone leading sales like you have all these leaders with their own agendas, mm -hmm. making it more difficult to break down the silos to actually create alignment. Um, so I would ask you where you don't have a single leader that is leading all of revenue, how do we get there? 
How do we actually get to a place where we are aligned if companies are not ready to move in that direction where we're putting everyone under the same umbrella? And that's a really tough thing to just kind of put a blanket statement on because so much of revenue alignment is dependent on your type of buyer. Like what is your ideal buyer? What's the market you're selling into? What is their buying behavior? What is their buying potential? And how do they interact with your product? Um, because if you're selling into, like, let's just say you're selling into a high ACV, so a high contract value uh, technology company where the purchaser, the decision maker is a CTO versus if you're selling into the blue collar industry and your ideal persona happens to be a mid-market uh, owner of a landscaping company, your, your revenue acquisition process is going to be vastly different. But all too often, I see the same framework applied to the same those types of situations. And then you reach uncertainty and pain. So first off, you have to understand your buyer, you have to understand your market. Secondly, you have to understand what is what is the acquisition process for your product, right? Like, is your product easy to understand? Can people get into it? Can they use it? Whether it's a piece of software or if it's a physical product, you know, how is the actual interaction and functionality of your product? And then what is the ongoing maintenance of your product? Again, if it's service or software, it doesn't matter. If it's easy to consume, if it's hard, if there's a lot of doodads, a lot of settings, constant manipulation of the tool. Because once you get an understanding of how those three primary functions are, then you can go back to the drawing board and look at where you need to align in order to encourage each step of the buyer in their process based on marketing, sales, or CS. Because you can't, you can't, you can't hold marketing to the same type of KPIs that you would in either one of those scenarios and expect success to happen. Um, same thing for sales. Like you can't have an SDR, you can't have one of those uh, traditional SDR to AE relationships in an SMB trial-driven software company, because you're you're going to be spending way too much money on cost of acquisition. The sales cycle inside of the trial is going to be way too long, and it's going to be overwhelming for the buyer potentially, depending on the outreach that is happening between the sales reps. Uh, and so it's you have to align yourself with who you're selling and what you're selling before you can align anything. Um, and then to add to that, I, I there's this um, recent conversation in the sales world of removing commissions from sales teams comp plans and just paying them where their OT is, because the argument is pay sales the same way everyone else is paid. It's like, well, people in sales are there to control more of their income. And if that's the argument, why don't we incentivize? The other departments based on how we need to align to acquire revenue, like not having marketing teams have some type of quarterly incentive that gives them additional money for achieving goals is besides me. Like, how are we expecting human nature to go in the direction we want it to do if we're not incentivizing the behavior we're pushing them to do? Right. And then we continue to increase their quote, their not quotas, but in marketing, their requirements, the KPIs, the benchmarks are supposed to hit, constantly increasing them, but then they're still making the same amount of money. It's like, well, let's let's level set a little bit and talk about how we can actually align our human nature, our interests, and our outcomes around revenue to where when we achieve the revenue targets, they benefit from it because then guess what's gonna happen next time? They're gonna work harder, right? So and then get just a top-down audit from what how are we focusing in the very beginning to how are we then rewarding and compensating the people doing the work? Long-winded answer, but no, and I, I agree <laughs> wholeheartedly. And I honestly think that those fundamentals of the job itself mm -hmm. is 
where things are broken mm-hmm. because you're right. If you took away commission, like salespeople are money motivated. Like yeah. They are competitive. They have that drive, you know, to, and I'm being stereotypical here, but they are like the people that want to stick their chest out and say, I'm yeah. the best. Yeah. And you want those so, people You and you want those right. ones to work hard. And so you can't take that away. But I do like your idea of really flipping that and saying, let's not take away commission because that's what drives those people. Mm -hmm. But let's figure out how do we measure and incent people to exhibit the behavior that we want them to exhibit. Yeah. Well, even on the marketing side, I had a really interesting conversation with uh, um, a VP of engineering a couple of weeks ago where traditionally in engineering and i love engineers and product people they are a wonderful type of breed of individuals because they're very logical and black and white it's great and he's sick and tired of the only leverage to incentivize engineers and product people as to firing them because it's all about major salaries it's like well what if we were able to find kpis and measurables for engineer and product people to give them quarterly bonuses as well like measured on bugs fixed or releases without bugs or hitting timelines or, you know, uh, uh, UI design release dates. There's like, there's a way to incentivize teams to rally around the primary KPI, which is revenue uh, and make sure that we're all aligned and on track. Because if we're, because I've been a part of multiple organizations to where revenue isn't even reported to the engineers. And so they don't know what the results are of the work they've been doing for the last six months on this big release. And, and so it's, it's interesting. Some of the mindset is to remove variable and to just level set. Everyone was like, well, that's, you know, there, there was a nation some years ago that tried to do that. That was, you know, they, they knocked down a wall for that whole thing. (laughs) Uh, And, and, and it's instead like go the other route and incentivize people, but with money, for their success and their hard work and their efforts and in, in reaching that stuff across the whole company. Yeah, I can think of, you know, so I've been in marketing, oh, 22 years now. And early in my career, I've only ever had one company where as a marketer, I had a direct incentive to my performance efforts. Hmm. And you know, I had counterparts that we all marketed different things. And I can say that we all fundamentally worked differently. Like we broke down our own barriers because if I, like I was incented on MQLs, that was still, you know, that period where MQLs were a thing, but my real bonus was based on conversion from NQL to opportunity. Yeah. And so for me, I had to figure out how to make sure that number was high. Like I knew how to control driving leads. Like that's what I had done my entire career. I knew I kicked ass at that. Yeah. But when it came to how do I make sure those convert into opportunities, at that point, I had no understanding of what even happened after I lobbed those leads over the fence. Yeah. So I had to take it upon myself to not only figure out what they did, but to understand what they cared about and what they were incented for so that when I lobbed them over the fence, they'd accept them and they'd become opportunities and I'd get my bonus. Yeah. And so without leadership, without policy changes, without any of those things, myself and my marketing counterparts, at least the ones I worked closely with, 
we were all doing the same thing. We were all chipping away at the silos mm -hmm. because if we didn't, that meant we weren't getting bonused. Yeah. And that really, and our bonuses at that time, they weren't super significant. Like it was still primarily salary, um, but it was enough of a chunk of change that it did matter. Yeah. And um, I, I love that because it, 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 one, there's an argument of, oh, well, you won't have people to take the job. I was like, cool. Then they probably aren't going to be the ones to do the job the right way. You know, I think variable compensation weeds out the people that just want to clock in and clock out. Same same goes for sales and CS handoff, like compensating sales reps based on their churn, right? Like not, not clawbacks. I don't like clawbacks. It's a very interesting way to do it. It's very old school, but you can easily put in comp plans to where their uh, commission percentage could be impacted by their level of churn from the last quarter. Right. So there's yeah. there's ways to do it. You just have to get out of whatever playbook you were handed from the VC firm you got your money from and actually think about what's beneficial for your customer and what's going to help your your business grow. Because every single business is different. Every customer type is different. And you have to think outside of the box in order to make it work. Yeah. And we we experience that. I mean, you know, we're obviously a small company, but we initially had more than just those people who were in the role of sales, the the role most similar to account management for us mm -hmm. also received commission. And it was great for attracting people with high drive and, and those sorts of things. But when we really started to look at it, we recognized that we actually were incenting behaviors that we didn't want from mm. that team. And there was, you know, this huge focus. And I mean, not that anybody was like making poor decisions to drive commission, <laughs> but if you think about where you spend your time day to day, they were spending time on the things that directly tied to how much they'd make on commission yeah, and less on the things, less time on the things we really needed them to do to make the client successful. And oh, so yeah. we actually had to change our comp model mm -hmm. because it was kind of like our heart was in the right place when we did that, but we realized it actually incented people the wrong ways. And, and so that is a key is how, you know, I mean, people take jobs to make money. Like yeah. you know, there seems to be this weird misconception, like, oh, they're just in it for the money. Like that's the point of a job. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah, <laughs> duh. that's why I'm working. Like I wouldn't choose to do this 10 hours. In. Uh, it's, it's just, let's just be real for a minute. Like, yeah, people have jobs because they want money. If they didn't want money. They would just be in a box or living in a forest somewhere. Um, but it's one, I, I applaud you in the organization to ha having the ability to take that step back and see that and make the adjustment too many organizations wait until it's too late to do that. Um, but again, I've seen the same thing in CS. They only, they only compensate their account managers or CSMs on like upsells and expansion, but they're like, Oh, our churns through the roof. And I was like, well, it's because your, your team isn't compensated to create happy customers. They're only trying to sell like, and I love comp plans because they they are really big lever when they're implemented correctly. And you just have to understand your buying behavior and the interaction with the product to know where those levers are. And unless you have an identical product and identical buyer, it's not going to be the same thing as this person over here. So, so another question related to KPIs that uh, has been uh, a little bit of a debate um, is what are the right KPIs for marketing? 
you know, <laughs> historically they've been MQL. We know that's not where it's at. Like, I think there's a universal agreement that it's not the MQL. Um, but then there's argument of how far does, you know, how far through the pipeline does marketing have an influence in which they can be measured independent mm. of sales? In some cases, it's like it should be a, you know, all for one kind of thing. So there's lots of conversation and debate around what are the KPIs that, you know, marketing should be held to. Any thoughts on what you think is the right thing? Uh Again, I don't want to put any blanket statements out because it's really particular to the situation. But what I would say is MQL is not a bad word. MQL is just highly speculative based on the situation. If you've got one type of customer that pays one type of fee or revenue stream that only purchase in a one particular way, great. You've got one definition of MQL that you can run with. Because um, the intention of MQL is good because it puts a measurement behind the type of lead that sales needs to work in order to close a customer. But the problem is, is we're only, we're only labeling that as one thing. MQLs need to be expanded. A, an SMB customer that's very early on in their buying cycle, even though they submitted a form, should not be an MQL. I'll take that. Let me step back. If that's not a good MQL for your business. But then to the same thing. If it's a high ACV, high contract, enterprise type customer, and they submit that form, like it should have been an MQL earlier on in the buying cycle. So we have to adjust our definitions of MQL in order for that to be a measurable thing for marketing, because it is hard to measure non-measurable things for marketing, uh, because it's because then you get into specifics, because then you're like... Okay, now we have to take into account all of our social media. We have to take into account the rise and fall of organic. We have to take into account, you know, how are we performing to budget when it comes to paid and how are we conversion converting across all the different paid channels? And because then there's just way too many things to try to measure in order to hit one specific uh, KPI. And so there's little ones that add up to the end all goal. But again, marketing is just part of the picture. So it's, if we can define the different types of MQLs for the business, and measure which ones lead up to the revenue goal. So MQLs, the number of MQLs have to match what the revenue goal is. And then two, that's just for new sales. We need to make sure that there's a customer marketing segment in place as well that is serving our customer base and aiding into the, the health of our book. So we can't just compensate marketing on new net new business. We need to make sure that they're included into the, you know, the rise and fall of our existing revenue stream. So again, I wouldn't blanket statement anything, but I just need to make sure that companies, when they're compensating on MQLs or anything like that, you just need to make sure that your definitions match what leads to revenue. And you can argue of, okay, no, we need to compensate marketing on opportunities or PQLs, right? If you're in a PLG type company, but there's there's a level of which they can't you marketing can't control that opportunities if you're given more if if your um, process is to generate quality MQLs and hand over to sales and you've got kind of a shitty SDR who doesn't update the CRM regularly and your revenue your bonus is highly dependent on that person checking that box then you can't control that and so I'm always I'm always trying to find ways to compensate teams on things they can control. To, to a certain extent, or to have a high influence on. Um, and so it's, it's, I like the opportunity side. I, when I'm optimizing marketing plans or go to market strategies or whatever, I do look at the opportunity as a driving force to that. 
Um, but I go backwards and I look at what is our definition of MQL and is that holding consistent? So it's it's long-winded answer, but it's just making sure that your organization is aligned and understand what their definition of an MQL is, air quotes, and, and always making sure that is in line and measuring uh, or on track to what's driving revenue rather than just here's an MQL and we need a thousand of them, go get them. It's like, well, no, because if you get a thousand MQLs in low ACV, low churn and low acquisition cost, because Google seems to be liking you that month, but they don't go anywhere. That's not in alignment with the company goal. So it's always, it's always making sure that you're refreshing the definition of MQL and then is aligned with the primary KPI for the company, which is revenue. I love it. Well, talking about our challenges is just the first step and <laughs> nothing changes if nothing changes. So yeah. let's talk about where we go from here, because mm -hmm. in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client the homework. <laughs> but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on his head and ask you to give us some homework. So if you can summarize your key takeaways around approaching growth as a holistic objective and give us our one thing. What is the one action item you want us to take away today? Talk to your customers. That And that that's two parts of that. There is talk to your customer facing people who talk to your customers and then also get on the phone with one of your customers, not a lead. So if you're, if you're a marketing leader, if you're a sales leader, if you are a CS leader, you are a CRO, whatever, you're responsible for revenue at any level, um, don't just talk to leads. Don't just get on the phone and try to do a demo because they don't have the full picture of the product. You are getting one side of the story. So talk to customers, existing customers, and talk to them in a way of learning and guidance from them, not just asking targeted questions. Sit and listen, sit and hear them and listen to their experience after being in the product six months. Listen to the your, your sales members, especially the SDRs. Uh, listen to what are the things they're hearing, right? What are, what are the successes? What are things enjoying? What are, you know, and really listen for action, not just listen for validation. That's a really big indicator, really big thing to pay attention to because all too often sales executives wanna get in and just pat themselves on the back and cool, that's what we wanna hear. But it's you have to listen to learn, listen and hear what's happening on the other end of the line, whether you're talking to a customer facing rep or the customer themselves. But you have to fight to get the voice of the customer at all costs. I love that. Listen for action, not for validation, um, because I do think sometimes we do listen to, you know, hear the pat on the back and to hear where customers are happy. But there is a lot that isn't said. So even, mm. you know being able to listen in on tone, you know, reading between the lines a little bit yeah. um, and hearing where things are not going ideal so that you can take action. Um, yeah. I think that is a great action item um, <laughs> and one that we have definitely heard before. Uh, and so I think that that, you know, this conversation really reiterates that talking to customers and the people who talk to customers needs to be an everyday activity. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, well, Dwayne, I have enjoyed our conversation, um, but that's our time for today. Awesome. No, I, I love I love this topic. So and I'm happy to be here and continue the conversation. Um, so anything I can do to help the cause. 
Well, definitely. And before we go, tell our audience how they can connect with you. And I heard that you've also got a podcast. So I'd love to hear, have you share more about that? Yeah. So I, uh, I, I, I like to think I'm more active on LinkedIn. Uh, so it's just my name, Dwayne Default on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I've on the different socials under the same name between like Twitter and yes, TikTok even. Uh, but my podcast is the Selling SaaS podcast. And so it is focused, yes, primarily around software sales and growth and success. Uh, but we really break into uh, a, bunch, a few primary categories of, you know, sales leadership, talking about holistic growth, we were talking about here and bringing in specific tactics for uh, uh, revenue acquisition, whether it's in sales or it's in CS. So we really try to stick to those three primary categories. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and thank everyone for listening in. I hope you have enjoyed my conversation with Dwayne. Mm. I can't believe we're at the end already. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs> You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at revenuerehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.